theyeshiva.net. The Tzamech Tzadek in Derech Mitzvah brings a very interesting story about the Baal Shem Tev. The purpose of the story is to argue levels of time. That there are different worlds where time happens uh, at a different pace or with different divisions of units, if you will. And it reveals something most interesting. The story is that the Baal Shem Tev had a brother-in-law named Abgashen Kitev, Abgashen Kitev, who lived in Israel. Baal Shem Tev, of course, lived in Europe. And the Baal Shem Tev sent his brother-in-law a letter consoling him for having broken his leg and wishing him a speedy recovery. His brother-in-law, Abgashen Kitev, gets the letter and he writes back to the Baal Shem Tev, sorry, sir, <laughs> never happened. This time you were wrong, kind of thing. Anyway, a few months later, Rabbi Yeshua broke his leg. And the Baal Shem Tev saw the broken leg in the language of the Tzemach Tzedek, in Yitzira. In some higher world, the leg was already broken. And for whatever reason, the Baal Shem Tev did not appreciate that he was seeing the event before it occurred. And this is why he wrote on Fuhr Shlema to his brother-in-law about an event that was yet to happen. In other words, some things in an interesting kind of a way have occurred before they've occurred. Let me give you some thoughts on this uh, topic as it relates, of course, to the Maimon we're going to begin tonight. Everybody knows the story of the two brothers. It's, it's one of the most famous stories. All of us as children heard the story. There are songs written about it. And it must be a Chazal someplace, although I've never come across it, that there were these two brothers who lived on opposite sides of a mountain. One of the brothers had many children, the other brothers had no children, or only one child. And each one was so in love with his brother that they worried about the other. And the one with many children was thinking, who's going to worry about my brother in his old age? And the one with few children was thinking, my brother is so laden with responsibility, he has so many mouths to feed, how can he possibly provide for them? So one night, each of the two brothers took a pile, a bundle of wheat, and carried it over the mountain to their brethren, to their fellow brother, as it were. And they met at the top of the mountain, and they hugged, and they kissed, and it was very, very wonderful. And of course, the story goes on to say that this is Haramiriya. There was on this spot that the Beis HaMikdash was built. And of course, the way we're always told the story as children, is that the reason Hashem chose Haramiriya is because this wonderful event occurred there. It's very, very far from that simple. Very far from that simple. Um, for example, Hasidus brings a Targum uh, on the Pasuk in Vayetze and develops it very, very elaborately, very thoroughly, that when Yaakov Avinu came to Haramaria, he slept there and he woke up in the morning and he said, this has to be the house of God. And the Targum translates, This is no ordinary place. And Hasidus gets really, really involved in this, There's a bunch of discussions on it. But in short, what Hasidus says is that Yaakov Avinu sensed that the physical space that was destined to be the base Hamikdash 
was actually created with a different mystical formula than was the rest of the world. In other words, there's energy in every place, and the energy of that place is the reality of that place that makes it exist. And much of the world is sustained by an energy that's called hedyet, ordinary. For the Kabbalists uh, over the world wide web, that's Yetzida, or perhaps even Asiya. The place of the Beis Hamikdash, it's not an ordinary place because it's sustained by Atzilas, by Havaye. And Yaakov Avinu was tuned into that. In other words, Har Maria was Har Maria before the two brothers were created, in fact, before the world existed. The Chazal tell us that God Almighty created the Evan Shasia, the, the rock that is now called <laughs> the rock under the dome, which is very debatable, it's a discussion for another time. And Misham Hushtas Kolaylam, the entire world was found, was founded, was uh, developed, coalesced, gathered around that rock. However, we explain that my Chazal, is it physical or is it metaphysical? The point is, Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim and the Hara Maria didn't become the center of the earth because two brothers met on top of the mountain. But in fact, two brothers met on the top of the mountain because it's the center of the earth. The Rambam, for example, brings down the Halacha, which is very interesting, that Adam Marishan brought Karbonis in Hara Maria. And the Chazal, he brings down Adam Mimokam Kaparosa Nivra. And not only did he bring Karbonis, in the space of Hadamariya, but the earth that God Almighty gathered to create Adam and Chava from the Adama, from the earth, as the Taylor describes it, was from the same spot that he would later on bring a carbon. And the Ramam goes on to say, Adam brought carbonus there, Noyach brought carbonus there, Avram, Yitzchak Yaakov, and so forth. And he finishes by saying that that the spot of the Beisamikdash, but particularly the Mizbeach, the altar is most precise and it was given over prophetically from generation to generation, the whole long story. The point is that oftentimes things happen in a framework of time. But although they happen in a framework of time, metaphysically, spiritually speaking, they happened before they happened. In other words, on some higher level, they already were before they actually were within the framework of time and space. So these two brothers met on the top of this mountain because this was a mountain of love and a mountain of peace. They were loving brothers. They were brothers at peace. And the space drew them, or they were drawn to the space. And therefore this wonderful act of selfless kindness uh, occurred in a place which is consistent with that tendency, with that energy, with that inspiration, if you will. I was in yeshiva, I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you before, but this is one of those recollections that I am very fond of. I, I was in 770, and I wasn't learning Masech Kedushin. I wasn't learning the yeshiva of Masech. But the yeshiva, Rabbi Bekarski al would give a shi'ir once a week, I think it was Tuesday, and I would never miss his shi'ir. I didn't have to learn the Gemara to understand and enjoy his shi'ir, and it shouldn't were. First class performances. First class. It wasn't known that he's a god, but he delivered them like, like, like a Lublin and Talmud, if you know what that means. Incredibly easy to listen to and wonderful to absorb. And he had his, his theories, his ideas that would come up again and again in his shiurim. And one of the ideas that I heard from him is, is Denekita uh, Haflue. And the Rambam Pirisha Meshnayas Krisus Paidek Zoyin. I think that's what he said. There's a there's an Ikida Haflue. There's a wonderful point 
found in the Peter Shemeshnai's Teknesis, and it's not Peter Zion, I actually looked it up, it's in a different Peter, but my recollection is that's what he said. It's a detail. What is the Nikida Haflua? What is this wondrous idea that the Ramam discusses? The idea is that there is Kedima Bizman and Kedima Behechrech. That means to say there is chronological precedence and there's precedence based on imperative. Some things happen before other things in time. Other things happen before other things in idea, in theory. Of course, the simplest example for this would be, you know, God knowing the future. God knows the future before it happens, but He only knows it because the future is going to happen. In other words, if you make a decision tomorrow to do something, God Almighty knew today that you were going to do it. So, in time, His knowledge precedes your action. But in truth, your action precedes his knowledge because he only knew today what you were going to do tomorrow because of what you were going to do tomorrow. So though in time, you do it after he knows it, but that's the chronological precedent. The principle, the absolute precedent is he knows today because what you're going to do tomorrow in, in theory, in, 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 in the law of causality, if you will, that's the cause and God's knowledge is the effect, although the effect precedes the cause in time. And the same is true in spirituality. There are so many examples of ideas that occur at a particular time that, um, that existed before they existed. They were before they became. Because in theory and in spiritual terms and on some spiritual level, they already existed. There's many, many examples for this. Why do I say all this? There is a Ramban in Pasha's Tetzaveh that discusses the Big Day Kahuna, the garments of the Kayan. And the Ramban says, that the priestly garments have to be beautiful. The Ramban says that the outfit of the Kayan Godel was the Big Day Sodom Bimei Moshe. The way God Almighty outfitted the Kayan Godel with the breastplate and the the various layers, you know, you have the Ksedas and the Mechnasayim, and then you have um, the Me'il, and then you have the Eifid and the Choshen, which are a number of layers of outfits, as opposed to the Kohen Hedid, who had only one layer, was a reflection of the priestly dress of the various cults that existed in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, or royal dress at that time. And when you read that Ramban, it creates terrible disturbance in your mind. It creates the disturbance because, you know, we believe that Teodosh B'Ksav was dictated directly by God Almighty to Moshe. God said to Moshe, do it this way, because this is what I wish. And of course, when you study the mysticism, the cabal of all these things, you discover that all of these ideas, and all this form, and all this detail, is before creation. Then here comes the Ramban and so simply says, oh by the way, the, the Kayanim that God prescribed for the Kayan Gadol through Moses' intermediacy by Moshe Rabbeinu communicating the will of God, it was the dress of royalty and of the priestly class in that time. How does that sound? Does that sound like it's divine or does that sound like it's an imitation? And it, it is interesting that the, of all people that Ramban, you know, who was a mystic, would say a thing like that. And to me it's not a question. 
Although if you want to be uh, in doubt, you can remain that way. Because to me, it's actually the other way around. God created the world. And of course, at the center of the world is that purpose. And at the very epicenter of that purpose is the Beis HaMikdash and the Kayanim and their clothing and the rest. And they conform to an ideal mystical uh, inspiration, or ideal mystical form. But, the way God gave us His Torah is that it's coming down to earth. Which means to say that although the outfit of the Kohen Gadol was in the, the grand plan, the divine plan prior to creation, God arranges that when the time comes to actually reveal the instructions to us, at that particular time, they're reasonable based on the circumstances. In other words, the fact that at that time it was the royal dress or the priestly dress in other circles was an effect of the fact that God wanted the Kohen Gadol to dress this way and not a cause. In other words, it looks like Moshe was imitating what other royals or priestly classes were doing and blaming it on God, but in reality it's the other way around. God said to Moshe, this is how I want the Kohen Gadol to dress and it's consistent with royalty or priestly classes now in the world because Torah is designed to be given on the earth as it is a world. It wasn't the royal dress before, it wouldn't be the royal dress after, but at the time that it was given, it was consistent with what was going on in the world. It's almost as if the energy of the anticipation of the giving of this mitzvah affected the world around, that people should adopt this dress, perhaps even before Hashem gave these commandments. But it's only Akadima Bezman, it's not Akadima Behechrech. In other words, chronologically perhaps, that dress already existed, but by necessity, in principle, in absolute terms, imperative precedent, it was the fact that the Koyen would wear these clothes when God commanded them that was the real source of why other people at that time were dressing that way. Uh, I'll give you a number of examples from the Chumash, right? The Chumash is called Teiras Moshe, it's called Moshe Rabbeinu's book, and it is Moshe Rabbeinu's book, because the entire book revolves around him. Now how can the book that God Almighty wrote before he created the world, that's the blueprint of creation, be the book of a man? And the answer is, because it was destined to be given by God to his nation through Moshe at a particular point in time. So, before the world was created, when the Torah was written, it was written in such a way that it would reflect that context, that chronological, that time-based context. So, although uh, Moshe's life, which is the drama around which the Torah revolves, is Kedim Abizman to the writing of the Torah, in fact, but Moshe's life is only a Kedima Bizman, the Kedima Behechrech was that God wished that His infinite wisdom become available to us using this particular form. And a second example would be the book of Chronicles, Divya Yomim. The book of Chronicles mirrors the royal dynasty of David Melech. That's really what it's about, although it begins with other medition. These were people who lived at a particular time in a particular context and the book of Chronicles mirrors their experiences and their challenges and their survival and their conflicts and all the rest, but it's Torah. Torah means to say it's divinely inspired, and on some level at least it precedes creation itself, 
And although in Zman, the stories, the episodes that occurred with the kings preceded the record, the recording, the writing down of the book of Chronicles, in Kedima Behechrech, it's the other way around. And the same is true of the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash has a particular design. And this design is described in Zoyar, which is quite famous, because Hasidus, of course, has made it famous as being class. The urine, the, the base of Mikdash is designed to have three rooms. Uh, an inner sanctum, what we would call a bedroom, a living area, and, um, and a courtyard, a chotzer, which I guess in the modern world we would call it a garage. And today people have garages in the front of their homes, so I guess it's consistent. And they represent three levels. A place of intimacy, a place of, 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 of engaging in the finer aspects of life as a human being, and a, gay, a place of engaging in the more crude, um, basic aspects of being a human being, like chopping wood and, and um, perhaps cooking food in the ancient world. And these three spaces reflect three levels of life as people lived them, and therefore it reflects the model of how God wants to relate to his world. God has a place of intimacy, God has a place, which is of course the Holy of Holies, God has a place where he's involved in finer functions with his nation, but it's not a place of intimacy, and then of course there's a level where God is involved in the more crude things, which is the Kedesh HaKadoshim, the Hechel and the Azorah respectively, or the Kedesh HaKadoshim, the Kedesh and the Azorah, as it were in the Mishkan. So which came first? The design of human beings' homes, as it was in the ancient world, where the Chatseris were in the front, or the Beis HaMikdash. And here again you have the Kedima Bizman and the Kedima Behechrech. Perhaps before the Mishkan was designed, the model of the Beis HaMikdash follows already existed. And I'm not a great historian, but I'm not a historian at all, but I, I understand that the design of a temple as the Beis HaMikdash looked existed at that time. Lahavl in other places. But it's immaterial because those temples and their designs were Kodum Bizman, but not Kodum Behechrech. The base Hamikdash had the design that it has, because this is how God envisioned the framework, the space, or the innermost space by which the Creator and the creation meet, which is the base Hamikdash and the Holy of Holies, and so forth. It may have been reflected in the greater world, and perhaps even reflected in the greater world in times before the Beis HaMikdash would actually be built, the Mishkan would be instructed to be built, but that's only the Kedim of Isman, and in fact in Hechrich it's the other way around. And to narrow the issue down even more, let us talk about the Holy Ark and the Cherubs, the Kruvim. There was a Holy Ark, which of course in terms of comparing it to our lives, it's a mita, it's a bed, a place of intimacy, and of course, on top of the Oren, you have two Kruvim, cherubs, Zachar and Akeva, male and a female. This is the place where God meets his nation in the deepest and most private of possible uh, ways. It's the Holy of Holies, where God meets man in the most ideal, the most wonderful, the most peaceful possible uh, framework. And the Oren and the Kruvim, which sat on top of them, are meant to reflect this model, meant to reflect this relationship. Because this is how it was, you know, in the divine plan prior to creation, and this is how it manifested in the Holy Ark, in the Beis HaMikdash. 
you'll see Mitchum in subsequent weeks. Perhaps why I'm spending so much time on this. Because the Maimir is going to go on to discuss what happens when there's no Besamekdash. And there's no Aran. And there's no Kruvim. And the Maimir is going to try and find replacements for a Besamekdash and for Aran and for Kruvim. Based on the fact that this model and this design and this idea is not just a physical or a practical model that reflected a time and a place, but it is an ideal and theoretical model which reflects the whole of creation, and the whole purpose of creation. So if you don't have it physically and literally, you have it metaphysically in theory, theoretically, and therefore under all times and under all circumstances, you need the parallel of a base Hamikdash, you need the parallel of a Kedesh HaKadoshim, and you need the parallel of an Adon and Kruvim. Now, Look at the Rishonim on Pasha's Truma, our Pasha, and the Aran, and the Kruvim. And what do you learn? You learn that the cherubs, the Kruvim, were meant to reflect the Chayes, the angels that are carrying uh, the chariot, the seat of God. Right? You, you may have encountered this, that there are a number of divine chariots. What is a chariot? A chariot is a wagon that's got wheels or horses. And it's being supported by some kind of supports. And of course at the helm, at the center, at the pinnacle of this chariot, there's a seat. And on the seat is sitting an Adam, a man. Now of course, in very simple physical reality, the whole reason for the chariot and for the horses and for the wheels and for all the decorations is the person to be able to navigate from place to place, come from point A to point B and so forth. But of course in metaphysics, in Ruchnius, the Adam Sha'alakis is an allusion to godliness. And that godliness is available to us through this Merkava, through this seat, through this intermediate. And of course, as we all understand so commonsensically, you know, God doesn't need a chair, and God doesn't need wings, and God doesn't need angels, and so on. We need for God to have a chariot. You know, we need as the story goes, for Yoishev to heal Yisrael, for God to have a place to rest. Because there is a concept of godliness being more revealed and godliness being less revealed. And the idea of the Shekhinah and its manifesting means that God descends to engage and be involved in our world to our benefit. Perhaps to His also in some metaphysical way, but it's for us. So we need for Hashem to sit. We need for Hashem to descend. And if he is to descend and to sit, we need to provide a vessel, a space, on which he sits. So in the Tanakh, in Yecheskel, and in Zechariah, and in the various other, and in Yeshaya, and so forth, with the various Merkavas, the various chariots of godliness are described, you have very similar images, very similar models, where you have angels, with their wings outstretched, that are supporting something which is above their wings, on top of which sits God. Or godliness. So the angels represent a, a dimension of closeness to godliness that causes the godliness to come down. And there are so many different angels and so many different levels. Naturally, the Chayas HaKodesh, for example, or the Ifanim, or the Serafim, whatever the case is, that are holding up the Merkava are not godly, but they're the closest thing to godliness that could possibly be because they're actually the vessels or the, the wings on which the godliness is being supported. And that's what the Holy Ark was. The Ark with the angels with their outstretched wings, and of course, there are only two angels, 
not four, we're a Merkava. Just as in every one of the spiritual worlds, there is a center, and in that center there is a chariot, a seat, and on that seat manifests Shechina. In the physical earth, there is a center, which is Eretz Yisrael, which is Yerushalayim, which is the Beis HaMikdash, which is the Holy of Holies, and there is a seat, which has a similar design, represented by two cherubs, two kruvim, that have the face of a boy and a girl with outstretched wings in which the Shechina manifests. As I explained to you before, in principle, this model of Kruvim, which allows for godliness to become available to ourselves, is prior to creation. It's Kedima Behechrech. Perhaps the way it manifests in time, everything happens at a particular time, and at a particular place, and in particular circumstances, that God Almighty will give us a particular commandment. But that's only its chronological manifestation. But in principle, these ideas precede creation, and therefore they're timeless. Therefore, when there's no Beis HaMikdash and there's no Kruvim, there's a concept of a Beis HaMikdash, and there is a concept of Kruvim. To broaden this topic just a little bit, and then, believe me, I'll get to the text. Uh, permit me to discuss what is really the most fundamental concept in all of Kabbalah, Atzilus, Adam HaElyin, the supernal man. We are in the image of God. You and I know God has no image. At least I hope we know that. So when we speak of in the image of God, we don't really mean the image of God. We mean the image of godliness. And I don't want to get into the particulars, but the model of Adam, the model of man in which image we are, is special because it's perfect. It includes kolap ules kulam, from the extreme right to the extreme left, chesed, gevura, to their polar extremes and everything in between. And of course, in addition to including kol and kulam, which means every emotion from the extreme right to the extreme left, it's min from the highest levels and the lowest levels. So Adam is a blend of all the variety, all the diversity, top, middle, bottom, right, left, center, as I always like to explain that to you. And that incorporation, that bringing together of all possibilities, makes it infinite, notwithstanding that it's diverse and simply stated finite, it is in its unity, in its harmony, its inclusiveness, a manifestation of godliness. As I, I've told you in earlier classes at length, and I'm deliberately being brief here because of those discussions, it's the, mere, it's the inverse image of Mo'id is Adam. Plain infinity now manifest in complex and orderly and integrated infinity. And Adam is a model which is a vessel for godliness to manifest. In other words, just as the Oren and the Kruvim are an, a framework, are a, a set of wings and cherubs and faces that is inviting to godliness in Atzilus, Adam Ha'elyin, the Kalim of Atzilus, in other words, the vessels of Atzilus are inviting to godliness to be manifest. And of course, once it's manifest in the higher worlds, it ultimately trickles down to us. And... Everything I just described is true, but it's only true in the times that the Beis HaMikdash stands. The Beis HaMikdash has now been destroyed. So the Beis HaMikdash is gone, the Aran is hidden, and the Evangelist is revealed, but nevertheless, the seat and the, the room, the building which is supposed to house the Divine Throne, which are all framework for the manifesting of the Shekhinah, have been severely compromised. Consequently, the traditional method, traditional framework through which the Shekhinah comes down 
is gone. We call it golos. Not just golos for ourselves, golos for the Shekhinah. So our Maimed is going to argue that although the physical frameworks are gone, the ideas continue indefinitely. And as I explained to you before, the reason the ideas continue indefinitely is because the ideas actually came before the form. And therefore they survived the form. And now too, there is the idea of Abay Samekdash, the idea of Kiruvim, and the idea of us being in a position to bring godliness down. And the Golas discussion is going to be of course, with the help and grace of God, next week and the week after. Tonight, we're going to begin the Maimed. We're going to learn a couple of lines which are relevant to what we're going to be discussing in later weeks. And then we're going to get to tonight's discussion. Tonight's discussion is about the Kruvim and the time of the Beis HaMektosh. And let's uh, begin. Line one. Mi yitencha ka'achli v'goymer. This is a pasuk that says, Mi I wish, who would give that I should be as a brother to me? In other words, the, the Navi is lamenting the fact that we're no longer God's brother. And is is wishing, is hoping, Mi I may not be your brother, but it would be nice if I could be similar to your brother, like your brother. And the Alter Rebbe immediately interprets. This is a request that the collective Jew makes of God Almighty in the times of the Gauls. And he explains. When the Beisamekdash stood, the Jewish nation is called the brothers of God Almighty. As the Pasuk describes us, they were the brothers and friends of God Almighty. But, there is a qualifying factor when and where were Jewish people in a condition where they can consider themselves the brothers and friends of godliness. Laman when there's a Beis Hamikdash, because in the Beis Hamikdash, godliness was manifest in the city, in the room, on the ark, and on top of the cherubs, on top of the keruvim, and we were then the equivalent of brothers to godliness. In other words, our godly sensitivity was parallel to the godly sensitivity or godly revelation which was present on top of the Kruv. Claim, in other words, when are we the mystical equivalent of brothers? To godliness, when the Beisamekdash stands, the collective Jew is now making a similar request, I wish that now too in the times of Gauls I could be as a brother, in other words, be in a position to be parallel with and on the same level as the godliness which was manifest in the Kedesh HaKadoshim on the Kruv. So the Golos discussion of this Pasuk or these Pesukim we're going to leave in Mitzvah Hashem for the second and third parts of this class, this Maimon. Tonight we're going to discuss how it was when the Beis HaMikdash stood. In the Holy of Holies, in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Temple, they were cherubs, Kruvim. They faced one another. And of course, the two faces of the two cherubs that sat on either edge of the Holy Ark represent 
the end of God and the beginning of man. The male cherub represents how godliness descends to the lowest possible place that it can descend. And the female cherub represents how the Jewish people in the world can raise themselves to the highest possible level of ascent. And on the Oren, these two kruvim face one another, which means to say, the best of man can touch the most diminished of godliness. And we can actually have a relationship like a a man has with a man, a person has with a person. Vinikshiv and the Tater describes it in the following way. Again with the two cherubs placed on the holy ark, and the Pasik describes them as one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. Now I recollect that last year this week we did that tiny little Maimed at the end of Pasha's Truma, which is one of those Loshanat Mur Nishmasayatin Biatsma jobs. Short Maimed raw Kabbalah. It was a mimer written in the Altenebbe's own pen. The ideas of that mimer are found here in much longer hand. And basically, the cherubs, the kruvim, are on one end of the ark and the other end of the ark. And obviously, basically speaking, when you say one cherub is at one end of the ark and the other cherub is at the other end of the ark, it means that the ark is bringing them together. But in mysticism, it's, entirely, it's understood entirely differently. One kruv is at the edge of the Ein Sof, and the other kruv is at the edge of Nivroyim. One kruv is the very lowest ebb of what is godliness. The other kruv is the very highest and finest ebb of what is creation. So they're meeting at the point where godliness in its most manifest level meets the world as it is in its most sublime level. And man- godliness in its most manifest level is a cherub, is the face of a man on an ark. And human beings' highest point of ascent is also a cherub, the face of a woman, which is as close to godliness as it could possibly be without being godly in fact. And on the ark, these two initiatives, efforts meet, and godliness and worldliness, godliness people uh, come together and, be, and you know, in, in, uh, inspire each other, so to speak, if you will. So the Rebbe continues and he says, and the idea of these cherubs, can be further explained based on and the Rebbe is going to correlate Kruvim to Adam. And I'll explain to you momentarily. The Gemara asks the question, is it not true? At the face of the cherubs with the face of man, and the Gemara answers, big faces and small faces. In other words, the Kruvim had the faces of a boy and a girl. In Kabbalah, we talk so much about Adam about the supernal man. And the Gemara asks the question, are not the cherubs, which have the face of a boy and a girl, the same thing as Adam HaElyin, as the supernal man? And the Gemara says, yes and no. Yes, because both of them are human. In other words, both of them conform to the integratedness and the inclusiveness, which is called, you know, right, left, center, top, middle, bottom, as I briefly alluded to before, but in the Adam, it's in Apiravrevi. In Atsilos, in Adam Elyin, the the supernal man is on a large scale, and in the Kruvim, it's in Apizutri, it's on a a miniature scale, so on a smaller scale. Because in Kabbalah, frequently the Kruvim are associated with the world of Yetira, while Adam Elyin is associated with the world of. Atzilus. And in the, the Maimonim of Hanukkah in Shariyeira, 
he links it to matat. There's a malach called matat, which shuttles back and forth between Yitzhira and Asiya. And when it's in Yitzhira, it's called a kruv. When it's in Atsilis, it's called an adam. So they're very, very similar. One is apizutri, one is a diminutive man, a little boy and a little girl. And the other is a large man, adam, zachar and a cave in Atsilis. And I want you to remember that this apidavrevi and apizutri is when you compare Atsilis to Yitzhira. If we're going to call adam hali and Atsilis, we're going to call the kruv apizutri Yitzhira. Remember, there's also Arech Ampen and Zeid Ampen. And Arech Ampen and Zeid Ampen is exactly the same idea, a notch up. Arech Ampen would be Kesed, Arech means the large Adam, and Zeid Ampen would be Atzilus, which is called the small Adam. So there's a relativism here. When you compare Atzilus to higher, it's called Zeid, and when you compare Atzilus to lower, it's called Rav. But there's a detail that needs to be added, which we're going to get to towards the end of the class about the idea that Kruv is only the diminished, the lesser model of other. And the Rebbe goes on to explain. He, in the exhibit, says in the Pasuk, I'm on line 6. That sitting on the divine throne is the the likeness of a man. And the question, of course, becomes the Tzadok Lahavan, I don't understand, says the Alta Rebbe. All of us know God doesn't look like anything. And if God doesn't look like anything, why is God called in the Tanakh? That's describing the throne and the angels that are carrying the throne and all the rest. That above all of it sits godliness and godliness is called other. And of course the answer to this question is that we're not talking about God. We're talking about the revelation of godliness as he's available to the world. And godliness available to the world takes on the complex integrated model of Adam, which is how godliness is on the one hand godly and on the other hand available to us. And the Alt never proceeds to discuss Atzilus, Adam. And of course the idea that it's mirrored by the Tater. That instead of infinite plainness, you have complexity and order to an infinitely perfect degree, which is an inverse form of the same plain infinity, Adam. Achin, and the idea is as follows, line 8. Adam, Tater also is called Adam. And of course Tater's Adam is before the Adam alien because it's the blueprint of it. That this Teda is called Adam. That the Teda is the Teda that reveals what the word Adam, what man means. And the idea goes as follows. The entirety of Teda is the divine names. And in the Zayah, the ten Sfiris are called Rosa Deshma Kadisha, the secret of the, of the Holy Name. So Torah is called the names of God, and Atsilus is called the Holy Name. So there's a parallel between Atsilus and the Torah, that both are called the name of God or Godliness. The idea is as follows. Let's speak of it by comparing it to the name of an ordinary physical human being. Say, for example, a person carries the name Avraham or Yankiv. Al Derech Marshal, the name Avraham or Yankiv, for by way of analogy. Harei, what do we know about a name? Ein zenegei yelam hosei A human being, in as much as he relates to himself alone, has no need for a name, because shatzmus same hosei shal adam. A human being, in his relationship with himself, who asei chalum midashalei is the intelligence and the passions of that person. Shem Shayachem Bey, which are of use to him, Gam Kishuvaf Niatme, as he's by himself removed from all others. And of course, this controversy about calling the Kaychis and the Midas Atmosimus, but that's how it is in Teda Eid of Ayeda also, as well as in Daniel. I'm sorry. 
Nobody needs a name when it comes to himself. A name is something most peripheral, which allows him to be identified by others who call him and access him and draw his attention through a name. In other words, a name is in effect a tag or a handle by which we have a connection to godliness. Now you also know, of course, from the Maimorim, that a name is a very deep thing. The name of a human being, and the name of godliness reflects the very essence of the human being, or the very essence of the manifesting of the human soul, of the human body, and so forth. So there's a duality to it. The name may reflect something very deep, but its usefulness is very peripheral. You need a name in your relationship. So, when we call the Torah the names of God, and when we call Atzilus, what are we really saying? We are saying that the Torah, as well as Atzilus, are not God, but God's tag. God's means, or medium, through which we can have a connection to Him. The name of God is what we employ to relate to Him. So the Torah is the name of God, Atzilus is the name of God. In other words, this is the way godliness is brought forward for us to be able to have a relationship with uh, godliness. Kach, the same can be applied. When you're talking about godliness. That the truth of godliness is infinite and transcendent and unavailable, while the way godliness comes down into Atsilos is relatively speaking his name. In other words, it's relatively speaking how godliness has a relationship to others that if he were to be only in relationship with self, there would be no need for it. For example, even which is the highest of the points of Atsilos. Certainly, this eternal emotive attributes. Einon erech klal are incomparably removed. Lemhusevatzmusi is barach to God that says he is by himself. And of course, here mhusevatzmus doesn't mean seichel abidus. Mhusevatzmus means himself. Shemhusevatzmusi is barach the godliness as it exists alone. Is merum umumis nasi is exalted and altogether removed. Migad the bechinas chachma from even the concept of the attribute and the expression of wisdom. And certainly from the lesser Sphidus and Midas, Vis Havos as a Sphidus, and the creation of the ten Sphidus of Atsilas. And correspondingly, the creation of the Torah, Nikaraz, or the Shmoka, the Shift, the secret of the divine name. In other words, Shurak Bechinas Haor, it's only a reflection or a ray of the divine light, which is outside of godliness as it exists in relationship with itself which is necessary for us to have a relationship with him, which doesn't touch godliness, as godliness knows itself. You know, in Tanya, you have in chapter 37, where he talks about Mikra, and says, that when a person studies Mikra, it's like, you're calling your friend to come to you, or you call your father, and you say, Abba, Abba. When you call someone's name, on the one hand, the name is meaningless, on the other hand, you're getting their attention to their very core. They turn completely. And of course, I have to tell the story <laughs> that the Tzemach Tzedek was a child, very little child. And he was sitting on the Alter Rebbe's lap. And he was playing with the Alter Rebbe's beard, as children often do. You know, why do parents have beards? So that the children should play with them. And of course, you know the Rebbe's Maimed, how he explains what happens when a child plays with a beard. That's the Yilmah And he was saying affectionately Zayda. Grandpa, grandpa, 
So the Alter Rebbe knew what kind of grandson he had, so he, he prodded him, he provoked him. And he said to the little boy, this is not the Zayda, this is the Zayda's beard. So, so he grabbed Alter Rebbe's nose and said, Zayda, Grandpa. And again, the Alter Rebbe said, this is not the Grandpa, this is the Grandpa's nose. So he grabbed one of those big eyebrows that you see in the photo. And the payas, and in each case, the Alter Rebbe said, nope, you haven't found the Grandfather, you found a portion of so that Tzemach Tzedek was not to be outdone. So he crept off his grandfather's left lap, left the room and waited. Then after a few minutes, he, he smashed something to the ground, made a huge noise as though something had fallen and broken, and started screaming hysterically, Zayde, Zayde, calling his grandfather, beckoning him to come and help him. And al came running out of his office, and Tzemach Tzedek comes out of his hiding place and points at his grandfather and says, Oh, there's the Zayde, I found you. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but you responded to my call, so it must be you. The name of a person gets Adam Paine Musi. When you respond to your name, all of you and to the deepest levels of you are reacting. And Shmoisav Shalakadish Baruchu means when you study the Torah, you're calling godliness. It's not godliness as godliness exists by itself. It's godliness as godliness is made available to us. But nevertheless, you're calling godliness. This is true of Atzilus and it's true of Torah, that's why they're both called the names of godliness and they're both in the image of Adam. They're, that's the base yad, that's the handle by which we have a relationship, not only with the godliness which is manifest in that form, but the godliness which is even higher than that form. The Torah tells us, that Ein Sof comes down into Chochmah. Or say it more broadly, Ein Sof comes down into Atzilus. Ein Sof comes down to his name. Ein Sof comes down into Adam. Hainu, in other words, that the revelation of the divine light, which is godly name Avaya, which goes on godliness. That God Almighty says, I am Havaya. And again, I translate Havaya Ein Sof. And this is my name, says the Altareb, who bebchinas Godliness, Ein Sof, comes down into the sphere of Chochmah, which is the highest point in Atzilus and Adam. And through the intermediate of Chochmah, Godliness comes down into all of Atzilus. As the reason is explained in Tanya, which of course dates this Maimah to what we call after Adam, Which is why specifically Midas HaChochmah is called Adam. And more broadly, all of Atzilus is called Adam. V'nikra Adam Arishin, and Chochmah Atzilus is called Adam, the first Adam, or Nikra Adam Kadmah, the Adam before all Adams. Kiresh is Chochmah Ki hu, I skipped the parenthesis, of course, line 18. Because Chochmah is K'me'al Derech Moshal, is by way of analogy. And he used a very famous example from Tanya chapter 51. In as much as the soul is light and life comes into the body, that although each point in the body is alive and energized with godliness, but life as a whole, <coughs> I apologize, that comes forward from the neshama is made, it's manifest first in the brain. And through the brain, and then is drawn from the brain to each limb, according to its blend and according to its tendency, which is relevant to it, so the brain gets the whole neshama. And of course it keeps the best for itself. 
the eyes, the ears, the nose, and so forth. And it distributes life to each part of the body according to that portion of the body's individual's tendency, strength, and purpose. So, it all comes into the brain, and from the brain it's distributed to the whole person. The same is true in Atzilas, it comes into Chochmah. Thus, Hamoichin, the intelligence, the Chochmah. Himklal, that's the Chayashil, the mother place, where life of the person exists in an encompassing way. The same is true in metaphysics in Atzilos. The manifesting of the Ein Sof. In other words, the point where Ein Sof reaches Adam. Which means, in other words, the point where Ein Sof reaches the idea of shame, of a name. Which means, a means through which we can have a relationship with Ein Sof is first and foremost Chochm. Nim Islam Chochm is drawn and revealed in Chochmah. Va'al Yedeah Chochmah through the attribute of Chochmah. Nim Shechom Islam Sh'eir B'chalat Tesfiris is drawn into the rest of Atzilis. And I'm, you're going to forgive me, or not going to forgive me, but it's not going to make a difference. I'm not discussing why this is, but this is nevertheless the case. Skip the parenthesis, of course. Ve'al Kein Eirais, therefore, Torah. The Mechachmah Nafkis that's revealed through Chochmah, Nikra Adam is called Adam because it's in the Chochmah-like image. In other words, Rabbi Isai, Atzilus is Adam, which means to say a form and a model, which is, relative to the truth of the Ein Sof, only a name. But relative to ourselves, an access. Through Atzilus we have a relationship with the Ein Sof, because Atzilus is Adam. Right, left, center, top, middle, bottom, human being, and al in Tanya chapter 4, describes it as Adam Ha'elyin and Adam Ha'tachten, the supernal man and the ordinary man. And I suppose we could say, human beings understand one another. You know, man to man, as they say, a person to a person can have a meeting. Now, the fact that one person is the manifesting of the Ein Sof and the other person is a, a, storner, a, store, a, a, a corner shopkeeper is a detail. But it's Adam and Adam. This is the place where godliness meets at least the possibility of reaching us, and it is called Adam, it is called the name of God, because it is this, relatively speaking, peripheral dimension of godliness, with which we have a connection to it. And the beginning, and the essence of this peripheral dimension of godliness, is Chochmah and Atzilus. Which is another way of explaining the Zayed is so familiar. The Teda connects to Kuchabrich, in other words, Chochmah of Atzilus, is the Teda which connects to the Yen so what have we just described? Without getting too caught up and without making too many apologies, we have just described the role of Atzilus. And if you are regular to these classes, we've had many opportunities where we explored Atzilus in great detail and uh, explained both the other aspect of it and the Ein Sof aspect of it. And I'm permitting myself to skim it here based on those earlier conversations. But in short... To Kabbalah, nothing is more important than Atzilus. Because Atzilus is Gili of Ein Sof. And of course the key idea of Gili of Ein Sof is that it's relating to something which is by itself not Ein Sof. Zulas, an alien, a foreigner to the Ein Sof. And ultimately, of course, the point is that the godliness once manifest in one set of vessels, once manifest in one Zulas, can trickle down and be manifest even in the physical world as well. And that's why Atzilus is called Adam. And as I told you before, when you compare the Adam of Atzilus to the Adam of Keser, Atzilus is called Zeir Anpin, and Keser is called Arech Anpin. But, when you compare the Adam of Atzilus to the Adam of Yetzirah, Atzilus is Adam and Yetzirah is Kruv. Atzilus is 
Zokain, and Yitzida is Nar. Nar Yisigamzakanti is an allusion to Matan. As it says another Maimor, it, it's not the language of this Maimor, but it's the ideas of this Maimor. Vihine, line 26. Pchin is Adam Zenik Radam The Adam of Atsilos is called the great man relative to lower. The manifest, the great face. Because Chochm, although it's a Midah, is so close to the Ein Saf that it might as well be itself Ein Saf. I am sorry, but I'm not explaining it. The point is clear. Chochm is the closest thing to the Ein Saf, and as such, it's very like the Ein Saf. As opposed to the Kruvim, as the way the Ein Saf is manifesting in worlds lower than Atsilos, that although they're carrying the Ein Saf, they're carrying it in what's called Ape Zutri, a miniature face, like children replicate their parents exactly, but in a diminutive form. Line 28. This is Taira. This is the name of God. This is the, the tag, the handle, by which we have a relationship with godliness on the highest level. Now you must bring forward the godliness which has been manifest in the highest Adam, in the highest shame, in the highest name to lower worlds. Come down to the tale of world of the Bria. And I'm skipping the parenthesis. Obviously the godliness must be reduced. You want godliness to come to the next level. So on the one hand you want it to be godly and on the other hand you want it to be on the next level. And bringing it to the next level involves a compromise, a symptom, a contraction. Vezehu, and the idea that godliness which has already been brought into one state of shame, one state of Adam, of availability to us, is brought to another level, is what the Chazal tells us, Tzimtzum, Shechinasei, Ben Shnei Badiyan. That the Shechina, which has already been Tzimtzum, the Natsilos, is further Tzimtzum between the two poles of the physical Holy Ark, as the godliness which was initially manifest in Atsilas, which is called Apiravreve, is now manifest in the lower worlds and in this world in Apizutri. Ki, Bipnei, Shemisham, sins from the Holy of Holies and the Ark and the cherubs which sat upon them. Hakel, Medabalamesha, the voice of God Almighty reached Mesha Rabbeinu, in other words. Just as Atsilas, Zemekava Ferein Sof, the Kruvim down here were much more reduced. But still, Merkava for the Yain Saf and the Torah after Har Sinai reached Moshe Rabbeinu through those two cherubs. Thus, the Kruvim and the Kedesh Hakadoshim are the repetition, are the next step or many steps down the road of how Ein Saf reaches us through the intermediate of Adam and using them as an intermediate. God Almighty reached Moshe Rabbeinu and giving him the Torah. Now, tangentially, incidentally, Tanya chapter fifty-three suggests that in the first base HaMekdash, and of course it's certainly true of the Mishkan, the physical Kruvim were not at Simpson um, compared to the worlds above. In fact, it was directly from the Ein Saf of Seva of Kalaman. But in this Maimed, at least, that's how it's explained. The Kruvim are a further reduction of the Ein Saf, which was reduced once in Adam of Atzilus. And this further reduction of the Ein Saf from Adam Elian to Kruvim, from Apiravet Avezutri Nikre Kruvim, it's called a cherub. What's a kruv? A little boy, keravian lashon of Aramaic. It means a little boy and a little girl. And what's of course interesting is, kruvim are in words in the Torah, which is Hebrew, and ravia is Aramaic. It's a different language. And yet, written into the Torah, you have this very obvious emes of kruv keravia. And of course, there's much discussion about what happens when you have 
Aramaic words in the Torah and and so forth. Then he had to and then he to you got to So there's much discussion on it. Which came first, the Hebrew or the Aramaic? But let's leave it alone. Api zuti the diminished phase, which is bchin as Adam akat a diminished model of Adam that brings the godliness even closer to ourselves. Kemashal akatan like a child, he's exactly like his father, but in miniature. Shagilim emechin shalei that the revelation, his intelligence. It's also intelligence, but it is yimitzum tzim yes, and mibadam agadl is far reduced when compared to the intelligence of that Adam as he is in a state of God. Now we're on line 32. So, if Adam ha'elyan avatzilas is a point where godliness is revealed to us and for us, and it acts as an intermediate, the kruvim act as a second intermediate to bring godliness to the lower level. It's like a, a man and a child. Line 32 continues that Ebony says, Vezehu, we now understand. One cherub is on one end of the ark, and the other cherub is on the opposite end of the ark. It doesn't mean the two ends of the ark as they face each other, but to the contrary, one end of the ark is in relationship to what is beyond the ark, ain't soft. The other end of the ark is beyond the ark, Bria, and the Kruvim bring the two opposite worlds together. The first cherub, if you will, the male cherub, brings godliness from the from the Aperavri down to the Apizutri. Skip the parenthesis. To be the beginning of bringing godliness not only into Atsilos, but into the lower worlds, especially in the times of the Beis HaMikdosh. The opposite cherub, the female cherub, is in the opposite end. In other words, it's how creation is going to get as close to creator as it possibly can. The higher edge of creation. So that when godliness comes from godly realms to the worldly realms, it shouldn't be a gift which is not earned and therefore not valued, but through an inspiration that we earn. Through our recitation of the Shema. That we should give our lives to God when we say one. And loving Hashem, and of course this means we declare our dedication to Hashem. We are moist and nefesh and love with God to the best of our abilities, which is relative to godliness, not that big a deal, but it's the best we can do. And that's the vessel, that's the seat, that's the cherub which is going to receive and transmit the godliness which comes from the other cherub, which is the way godliness has come down from the divine end to its lowest point. I'm sorry, Vahainu, in other words, line 34. What do we do to put ourselves in a position to be the receiving cherub? From the cherub that gives. We recite Shema, and of course, when we say the words, we pay attention. And to contemplate intellectually. And the measure of his one is Ani, that just like before creation, there was only God. Now, too. There remains only God and any changes, what we call Tzimtzum Shalei is only our perception. He spoke and the world came into being, the hiddenness came into being from our point of view alone. He willed it and it was. But our perspective is that we're real. But from the divine perspective, if we knew what God knows, we would see our own nothingness. When one, one contemplates this, they are making themselves a vessel for something above themselves. We reach a readiness of complete giving of ourselves to godliness. 
Li to reach a state where we have no interests other than the service of God Almighty. Which is why in the Shirashirim the Jewish nation is called the Kala. Right? The Chosan means to come down. And the Kala means to go up. But going up in what fashion? Loshen Kalei, Sanefesh, completely giving ourselves to God Almighty. Mimata from the bottom to the top. Vizehu, an hour meeting godliness, if you will. In as lofty a place that we can muster. Is called the second, the female kruv that is reaching for godliness from the bottom. Lala is to ascend. from the lower worlds. to be included in godliness at whatever level possible. to be able to see the glory of godliness of the Ainsaf. Vizehu, as the Pasuk describes it, our eyes are raised to Havaya. What that means is not simply looking to heaven and waiting for a miracle. We are dedicating ourselves and investing ourselves. We are committed to the worship and to the service of Hashem in such a way that we become a cherub, a crew, a kli, on which godliness will manifest. I'm on line 38. And as a result of this, Kamayim upon him. God Almighty's face mirrors ours. Nim Shachmal Mailagam King God Almighty draws forward from himself. Above again, where the eyes of God are upon the land. The land meaning land of Eretz Yisrael and the base of and Yerushalayim and the base of Mikdash and the Kedesh Hakadoshim and the Kruv. That godliness meets us as we attempt to meet godliness. And the place of meeting is the holy ark. We are the cherub which is reaching upward and godliness which is reaching up as the cherub which is being manifest. When this is the meaning of the apostolic Vasisashnayim Kruv of the that we have to make two cherubs. Skipping the parenthesis. And both of these cherubs come out of the deck of the Aaron, and it's the place where godliness at its lowest end meets creation at its highest end. However, the fact that they're both sitting on the deck of the Aaron is an infinity of godliness which is beyond everything. Which encompasses both of them equally. And what the Rebbe is saying here is ultimately we attempt to bring ourselves in a position to receive from godliness by being, so to speak, the lower cherub. The very fact that we could be in the game, the very fact that we are in a position to be at the receiving end of godliness, which is reaching us through the crew of Echad from higher to lower, is because Seva of Kalalman, Ein Sof, brings us together. So, the two Kruvim are sitting on the deck of the Oren. And they represent the end of one world, the beginning of another world. But the deck of the Yodin is one, because it's the deck of the Yodin that allows for these two opposite worlds to meet all together. Now, just a moment. So what we're explaining is that there are a series of worlds, and a series of seats, and a series of Kruvim cherubs holding up those seats, and representing the vehicles into which godliness manifests. And we're explaining that Kruv means a miniature form. And the grand form is called Adam. So we've explained why there are two cherubs. We've explained why the cherubs are at both edges of the Yodin. We've explained how the cherubs are both on the edges of the very same deck. And now it means to explain what is the meaning of the outstretched wings, the, the heavenward bound wings. And the Rebbe adds one more point. That is motion. You know, in, in mysticism, we talk about order, worlds, 
there are many higher worlds or lower worlds, inner aspects of the worlds, outer aspects of the worlds, and certainly close to the center of any world would be the base Amikdash, the Kedesh HaKadoshim, the the Kruvim. But most things are fixed in a particular world. The only thing that's in motion, of course, is Neshamas Yisrael, because we have free will. And specifically, Neshamas Yisrael, as we are down here, where we're exercising free will through our physical lives in the physical earth. Here the Rebbe proposes that the Kruvim are in motion. They move from world to world. And the outstretched wings represent it. But the Kruvim being in motion is not a reflection of the cherubs themselves. It's a reflection of how they reflect our efforts. Let's read. Line uh, 43. The Pasek says, in addition to explaining to us why there were two cherubs, why they're at the edges, and why there's the edges of the same kapetis. The Pasek also says, Oh, you are kruvim, pesek, and if I am lamayla, the game and the wings of these cherubs are outstretched upward, and so forth. For and the Zayr says, in Pashtachrin, Vayechi, Klazim, the game of Echolo, three times each day, Inun, Migarmaihu, Salkin, Gadfaihu, Vecholo, three times a day, the cherubs from themselves ascend using their wings. They fly upward from a lower world to a higher world. So one of the commentaries in the Zayn interprets the Hainu in different words during the times of prayer three times a day which is the Hainu Shabachol Eist which is called Eist in the specific times for prayer. When we say the three prayers the cherubs suddenly become big from little to big and Eilim Mibyah they ascend from the world of Briyatsirinasilamailabatsilas to the world of Atsilas. And they are becoming from diminutive models of Adam, diminutive Kalim for Ainsaf, to much larger Kalim for the Ainsaf. Vizehu Salkin Gadfayu, this is the extension of their wings. In other words, the cherubs are in motion because they're reflecting us. And what is the equivalent of wings in the case of people that inspire the wings to fly upwards, the passions? Love and fear are the two wings in the person. That Nikraim Gatvin, they're called wings. With which we ascend upward. Skip the parenthesis and go to line 49. And the Kruvim reflect and mirror our efforts. When we daven and we raise ourselves, the Kruvim are raised accordingly. Under those conditions, All of a sudden the Kruvim now cease to be Yitzira and they become Atzilas. They cease to be Kruvim and they become Odom, they cease to be Nar and they become Zokin and so forth. Given Sha'ilam Latzilas, they're ascending into the world of Atzilas. Asher Iyavachayev Gameyachad Behoin. In Atzilas, everything is Iyavachayev Gameyachad, let's leave it alone. Which of course explains why Tfilah Nikhilash Achiru. Davening is the word to connect, not just to pray and to request. In the language of the Pazik, Naftuli Niftalti means to connect. The word tefillah means to connect, as indicated in Teresh Shabbat Naftali and Teresh Shabbat In other words, that the Kruvim ascend from being little kids to being big people, and their source in the world of Atsilas. In our service, which motivates these Kruvim, this is the effort of the soul attaching itself to its source as we raise ourselves. The Kruvim are raised accordingly. Line 52, this is why. Yes, the cherubs have wings. To fly upwards into Atsilas. 
And as a result of this, there's one final point in the scheme of the Pesachim about the Kruvim that is mentioned. That Pnei and they face one another. And of course, looking into the eyes of another, facing one another, depending on which Kabbalah you look at, is either a very superficial thing, because all you see is a mask, the face, or a very, very deep thing, because on a person's face is written their deepest secrets. Chochmah Sodom, Toir, but certainly in Hasidus, Pana means previous. You look at a person's face, we make eye contact with somebody else, it's the deepest possible connection. The expression as it is in our society is the eyes are windows to the soul, and when people stare at one another, this is a very deep meeting. And in this case, Pnei Mishalachav means the Kruvma meeting, the Ain Saf. Shashab, that in Atzilos, Heim Yuchudim Panam Bepanam, they unified face to face with godliness. As described, when the Tehra was given, it's also written, concludes the Rebbe, that although the Kruvim are in the lower worlds, and inasmuch as the Kruvim are in the lower worlds, they're not on par with the godliness of Atsilos, they're lower than the godliness of Atsilos. But since when we pray, in that Esrats and three times a day, we're raised up from being Kruvim to being Adam, at that point, the Kruvim, are called the brothers of godliness, the brothers of Zah, and the Shamas Yisrael correspondingly are also called the brothers of Zah. This is what the Pasuk is saying, that we're like the brothers and friends of godliness. The peace that takes place between the Kruvim as they're raised up into our seals. Now Rabbi Sai, if you think about what we just did was we explained the Psukim about the Kruvim in considerable detail. We explained what the Kruvim are, that's point one. We explained what it means, that's point two. We explained why they're both sitting on the same kapetis, that's point three. We explained why the wings are outstretched, that's point four. And we explained why they're facing each other, this is point five. But what we understand is that having a Beis HaMikdash and a Kedush HaKadosh and an Arun and a Kruvim is a place which makes it easier for us to meet godliness. And the meeting between godliness and his world and the world of godliness is much easier. And of course, the effect of this was that at least in the times of the first Beis HaMikdash, Ruach HaKedish and Nevuah was a regular part of everybody's life. When the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, we say, Mi And we'll be doing that in Beis HaShem in the next two classes. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.